Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We've covered a few of the verses and chapters in the beginning of the book of Acts uh, in the last few weeks, but if you've read through the book of Acts, particularly in the first few chapters, it's an exciting book. It's an exciting time. If you read from the beginning of uh, Acts, then you see that uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit descends upon the church, they are speaking in tongues, thousands are getting saved, the church is busy, it is growing, it is excited, and if you and I were a part of that church, we would all be saying, praise the Lord, wow, hallelujah, wow, this is an exciting time, look at what's happening, look at what God is doing, and, and th they would have been excited, very, very excited, all of the believers just happy, rejoicing, excited about what God is doing, but as we read, not everybody was so happy about what was happening. Oh, there were many that were getting saved. The church was excited. People were receptive. There was favor upon the church. But some did not like that people were following somebody else rather than them. They were not excited that maybe the, their political power and the power of the people was threatened. And now, now the church begins to hit some resistance. All right, maybe early on people didn't know about, you know, what was happening. But now the church is beginning to hit some resistance. If you're there in the book of Acts, if you turn back to chapter number four, and in verse number one, we read, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them, being grieved that they taught the people. They did not like what the church was preaching, what the apostles were saying, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in the hold until the next day, for it was now even time. So they did not like what they were saying, so they threw them in prison until they could figure out the next day what they were going to do. Verse number 18, it says, and they called them, so they called them out. And the Bible says, and it commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they commanded them, hey, no more preaching or speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. The next chapter, in chapter number 5, it begins to intensify even more. In verse number 17, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. Verse number 33, When they heard that, when they heard the message that the apostles were preaching, they were cut to the heart, they were convicted, and took counsel to slay them. Verse number 40, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So on the first hand, they arrested them, but they didn't really go any further punishing them. The next time, now they not only arrest them and throw them into prison, now they beat them before they let them go. It gets even worse in chapter number seven. Stephen, one of the first uh, uh, deacons of the church there in Jerusalem is preaching the gospel. And if you're in chapter number seven, verse number 54, we read the response to his message of Jesus Christ. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So now here, they're not just arresting him, they're not just beating him, now they're killing them. They stoned Stephen in verse number one of the next chapter, chapter number eight. Now there is no holding back. Verse number one, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So now Saul is in charge of the persecution. Now they're not just arresting them when they're out in public preaching the gospel. Now they're not just stoning them when they're preaching in public in the gospel. Now they're going into homes. Now they're hunting them down. Now they're knocking on doors and busting open doors and looking for Christians that they heard about. I mean, this is intense persecution. Amen? Amen. And yet what you see in the book of Acts is that the church in every case bounces back. When there's persecution, they continue forward. There is an intensified persecution. They continue to preach the gospel. Now they're arresting them. They're preaching the gospel. Now they're stoning them. They are continuing to preach the gospel because in verse number four of Acts chapter number eight says, therefore they were scattered abroad. Uh, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So consistently what you see is that despite the persecution, there is continual persistence of preaching the gospel. The word that I would use to describe this church is they were resilient. They were a resilient church. And that's what we desire to be too. Amen? I think we all desire to be resilient. It doesn't matter what obstacles we might face. We desire to live for God. It doesn't matter who might dislike the words that we preach. We desire to continue to preach the gospel. I think that's the heart of every Christian, that we would all grow to be resilient. And this morning, I want to take a look at resilience in soul winning regarding the, this beginning church here in the book of Acts. Now, to begin with, we know resilience comes from the Lord. Amen? All right. And we've talked about this. If we are going to be soul winners, we must go in the power of God. All right. That's a basic. That's an assumption that we would go preaching the gospel, not in my strength or our strength, but in the strength of God. Amen? That's a basic assumption. Okay? So, of course, the answer is, how could we be resilient? Well, the simple answer would be, by the Lord's strength, by the Lord's power. And that's a basic thing. But I want to see a few maybe practical things for us to consider uh, regarding resilience in soul winning and persecution that we might face for sharing the gospel with others. So just a few words I want for you to remember this morning, the first of which that will encourage us to continue to be faithful in soul winning is the church, the church. So in Acts chapter number four, we read that they were arrested, Peter and John were arrested, and they were commanded, do not preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. And in verse number 23, the Bible says, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So when Peter and John faced persecution, the first people that they went to was their fellow Christians in the church. 
they went to their own company because when they were persecuted for their faith, they wanted to be with others who had the same faith as them. Amen? Isn't that natural? When somebody opposes you for your faith and you want to stand strong in your faith, the first natural thing to do is, I want to be with others who have the same faith as me, right? That's going to encourage me. That's going to help me. And what we see in this church is that the persecution on the believers pushed them closer together rather than farther apart. What we see is that the pressure from the outside did not separate or scatter the believers. What we see is that it joined them more in unity together. And practically speaking, for us as Christians, what would help us to be faithful is to join with other Christians who are also trying to resource for Christ. When we go out there and we preach the gospel, and maybe you're trying to witness to a coworker, you're trying to witness to a friend, you're trying to witness to maybe a random stranger, and you're mocked, or you, you see some resistance in the workplace, and, and you know that opportunities are passing you by because of your testimony, the natural thing would be for us to gather together as a church and just to encourage one another. Hey, brother, continue to be faithful. Hey, God sees the persecution that you're facing. Hey, hey, hey let, let's not keep preaching the gospel. Somebody might get saved. You never know when your boss might get saved. You never know when that friend might get saved. You never know when that family member might be saved. And we know that God will bless us for our faithfulness. Just keep on keeping on. And, and the church in persecution became more united. They became more together. They became more joined in unity because of the persecution. They bonded together. And you see that in their prayers in verse number 24. When they heard that. So when the church heard what they were told, what Peter and John were told, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. We see that the church came together and they prayed together for the same thing, that they might reach souls with the gospel. So when persecution was pressed upon the apostles, Peter and John, they came back to the church and they said, we got to pray. And let's get together and let's pray for souls to be saved. And they prayed for boldness to continue to preach the word of God. In verse number 31, or in verse number 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they came together in unity because they said, We got to continue to preach the gospel. Let's pray to God. We also see that in how they spoke the word of God. In verse number 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they had assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So we see that these believers gathered together, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were united in their speech. They began to talk about the same things. They began to share the gospel with the lost and uh, with one another, began to talk about the word of God. Luke chapter 6 says, For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So we know that these believers, they began to be more united because of the persecution that they were facing. And we also see that it led to them supporting one another. They led to them supporting God's people. In verse number 32 the Bible says that the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So this church came together and financially they were beginning to share with one another. 
And you could understand the need for that. I believe a big part of that attitude was we've got to help each other because look at the persecution that we're facing. Look at what you and I are facing. I know it was Peter and John out there, but soon it's going to come after us. And we just read that it did come after them. And because they all had the same goal of being a witness for Christ, they had to help one another. When brothers and sisters in Christ suffer for the name of Christ, the one place they should be able to go for help is their fellow believers. Amen? When I was in Korea, and I was going to this church, and uh, I met this couple, had a wonderful spirit, always seemed to have a smile on their face, great attitude, and, uh, you know, it was a fairly large church, and so, you know, I, it took me a little while to get to know some of these people, but I remember meeting this lady and hearing her testimony. Uh, she grew up in a Buddhist family, and uh, she had, I think, a couple of sisters, and, uh, and they, all, they all were Buddhist, and uh, this lady, when she was a college student, she went to, a, she went to college, and on the campus there, the church had a ministry, uh, a, an outreach ministry to reach students with the gospel. And so through this ministry, she ended up trusting Christ as her savior. She was saved through the ministry there on campus. And so she got saved. She went home and she told her family. She was living at home. She would commute every single day to campus. And uh, she went home. She told her family. Her family was not that happy about it. But they didn't really do anything. So the next morning, she woke up, and she went to college again. When she came home, all of her possessions were thrown outside the door and were sitting on the front porch. So that night, she slept on the front porch and woke up the next morning, called one of the church members, grabbed her things, and went over there and, and, and uh, stayed with one of the church family members. Eventually, she was able to help one of her sisters also to be saved. She trusted Christ as her Savior as well. And the two of them were going to the church at the time. And it, it just reminds me that when a Christian faces persecution for their faith, they trusted in Christ as their Savior, wanted to tell somebody else, and they were persecuted for it, the first reaction of this lady was, who am I going to reach out to? I'm going to call the church. I'm going to call that brother or sister that led me to Christ. I'm going to reach out. And they were able to help her and bring her in. And now she's a faithful member of the church and serving and, and uh, was married and, and, and some wonderful things. But when persecution begins to intensify upon the church, the one place we should be able to go is the church. Amen? That's one of the big reasons why we have gatherings together. People wonder, why is it so necessary to gather together? One of the reasons is so that we could share our burdens with each other. So we could see a brother face-to-face -face or a sister face-to-face -face and say, you know, I was trying to witness to my friend, and this is what happened to me. I was trying to witness, and, and this is something that was said to me. And they should be able to find some comfort and some encouragement. And that's one practical thing that I see is that when we go out soul winning and begin to face resistance, rejection, persecution, we should be able to return to the church and find comfort to find some support, to find some kind words. And we ought to come with the attitude of, you know what, I went out and I tried to reach somebody with the gospel. When we come to gather together, I want to encourage somebody because maybe they faced rejection for the gospel that they were preaching. So the first word I want to see this morning is the church. The second word I want to see is the command. The command. So moving forward from chapter 4, we see further persecution. The pressure is beginning to get turned up. It's now intensifying. We see that they are thrown into prison. We see that they are beaten. And I want to see the response of Peter, which is when they were told, stop it. 
stop preaching the gospel in verse number 29 acts chapter 5 verse number 29 the bible says then peter and the other apostles so it's not just peter and it's not just peter and john all the apostles now have been arrested they're standing there before the council they all answered and said we ought to obey god rather than men amen it's a great spirit and great attitude for the servant of god if i'm told two different things by two different people the one i should obey is the one that i serve and if we serve the lord we ought to obey the lord and that was peter's attitude peter's attitude was well we serve god so we're going to do what god says even if you're telling us not to do those things and of course we know the commands we looked at some of the verses before, Acts chapter number 1, Matthew chapter number 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We know about these verses. But even more specifically to this, pass, uh, this passage, Peter's referring to something that was said in verse number 20. So what happened was, Peter and the apostles, they were thrown in prison. An angel in the middle of the night opens the doors and tells them to go. And they go out, they're back out in the temple area preaching the gospel, and they have to go arrest them again. And that's when they tell them all of the things that we saw again. But in verse number 20, we see that the angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and tells them something. He tells them, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So God told them to go, I want you to stand, and I want you to speak to all the people the words of this life. So Peter and the apostles are simply saying, we're just doing what God told us to do. We were told to go, to stand in the temple area, and to speak to the people. That's what we did. And so they were simply being faithful. That's what we do as soul winners. We go and we speak to people of the words of life. He shines lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. But I want you to notice something, because of course all of us as believers know we should obey God, right? That's a basic, right? We know little children are told you should obey the Lord. You should follow God's command. That's nothing new. But there is something that is included in this phrase. He says, go and stand in the temple to the people all the words of this life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to go. I want you to speak because there's an opportunity for somebody to be saved amen that's the reason for obedience the reason for obedience is if we go we can see somebody to be saved there was a great opportunity for somebody to be saved that's what he's saying in verse number 30 the god of our father raised up jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree him hath god exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins and we are his witnesses of these things and so also is the holy ghost whom god hath given to them that obey him so here is the angel telling them go and preach the gospel because somebody might get saved amen and that's why we go in obedience because not just obedience as important as that is there's an opportunity tied to the obedience all right there is an opportunity and a reward that comes with the obedience. Beginning in 1848, uh, about 300,000 people moved 
from other parts of the country and other parts of the world here to California because of gold. Somebody found gold and 300,000 people moved. Now, in 1848, moving is not like moving today, right? So let's say you lived in Tennessee and you heard about gold in California, you know what you would probably do? You would probably call a, a, a trucking company, you would hire some people, box everything up, throw it into the truck, they drive over there to California, you hop on a plane and a couple hours later you land in California, right? That's what we would do. In 1848, there's no moving companies. You want to take something across the country? Do it yourself. <laughs> That's what it was. There's no airplanes, there's no railroads, there's no roads across the country, okay? So these people are risking their lives to move to California for what? For the opportunity to get gold. And you know most of them didn't even get any gold. <laughs> Most of them didn't receive anything. Most of them just went over there and really didn't find too much of anything. But these people were willing to risk it all for just the prospect of some gold. But more valuable than gold is the soul of a person. More valuable than silver is a lost soul. And those souls are worth going after. Amen? That's the opportunity. That's the opportunity that we have. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44, describing Christ and the suffering and, and what God was willing to do, says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure, hid in a field that which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So here the picture is, is that God is willing to give up something in order to gain something, right? God sacrificed his only begotten son, Jesus Christ on the cross, in order to gain our salvation. But you'll notice here, on the one hand is a cost, on the other hand is the opportunity, the reward. But the focus here on verse number 44, it says, and for joy therefore he goeth and selleth all that he hath. He goes with joy. The idea here is that he is not focused on the cost, he is focused on the opportunity because the opportunity and the reward is greater than the cost. See, when we focus on the cost instead of the opportunity, it is easy to get discouraged. When our emphasis and our thoughts always go to the cost instead of the reward, it is easy to get discouraged because it is not the cost but the opportunity that drives people forward. Think about how a lot of companies were built, right? We know a lot about Amazon, right? Jeff Bezos, and you know, he moved to Seattle, started this company selling books and all sorts of things. We know about that. Before Jeff Bezos went and started Amazon, he was a vice president at a hedge fund, okay? Now, I don't know how much money he made, but I'm sure he did pretty well, right? I mean, if you're a vice president at the age of 30 at a hedge fund, you're probably doing okay. And it's, it, it said that when he was, you know, he's trying to tell others about this opportunity to start this internet company, you know, his family and friends are like, man, but you got a great job. You're making a lot of money. You went up the ladder really quickly. Are you really sure you want to give it up? And Jeff Bezos said, yes. You know why? 
because he read the previous year that internet use had grown 2,300% a year. And he thought, there's a great opportunity on the internet. I want to do something there. And he was willing to give up that job in order to start Amazon. And we would say, that was probably worth it, right? <laughs> probably worth it. Think about athletes that win championships. Everyone knows that if you want to be a professional athlete and win awards, you got to make some sacrifices, right? You can't sleep in every single day and make it to the Olympics. Amen? You're not doing it. You can't skip your workouts if you want to make it to the top. You can't eat In-N-Out burgers every day and make it to the NBA, okay? You're just not going to do it. All right. Tom Brady famously has a diet that he abides by. I think he's relaxed a little bit on some of these rules. But Tom Brady, for a while, these were some of the rules that he put in place on what he could not eat. He would not eat any white sugar, white flour, MSG. He would never cook with olive oil. He would use no iodized salt, no coffee, no caffeine, no dairy, no tomatoes, no peppers, no mushrooms, no eggplants, okay? There's a few other things also on the list, okay? For the average person, how many of us would say, that doesn't sound like a life worth living, <laughs> right? <laughs> we would say, what is there to life? <laughs> I mean, what, if you can't eat any of these things. Now, we would probably be a little bit healthier if we cut out some of these things. You know, we cut out some sugar, we cut out some of these things, of course. We could probably be a little bit healthier. But you know the difference between you and me and Tom Brady, all right? I have zero Super Bowls. He has seven of them, okay? I see the cost. Tom Brady sees the same cost, but he's not focused on the cost. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about the opportunity. I want to win that. In order to win that, I'm willing to give up these. Now, for you and me, average people, we would only see the cost, right? We would say, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, I can't do what, I can't go where, I can't, what, what can I do, right? That would be probably the mentality of us average individuals, us, us commoners, if you will. But Tom Brady, a top elite level athlete thinks, but I want to win championships. I have a prize that I'm going for. And that opportunity is worth the sacrifice. And so for us, if we're only focused on the cost, we'll miss out on the opportunity. George Washington and the army that he was leading famously wintered at Valley Forge over a winter time, and it was a tough time for the army. He had about 12,000 soldiers, and it's been written that up to about 3,000 of his men uh, would have been deemed unfit for duty because they missed basic necessities and supplies. Basic necessities and supplies like things like socks and shoes and coats in the middle of wintertime. So here are these men in the middle of winter in Pennsylvania, in that Pennsylvania area, and they are there without socks, without shoes, without coats. It's been said that when they would march, there would be bloody footprints along the road in the snow and in the ice. And for us, we would think, what are you people doing? Why would you give up the comforts of your home? Why are you making this sacrifice? You know why? They saw the reward. You know what the reward was? 
the United States of America, our country. And they saw that reward and that opportunity. The Bible says of Moses, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. See, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He had all the luxuries of living essentially as part of the royal family, and yet he gave it all up because he knew that sacrifice was worth it because the reward of God is even greater. Hebrews chapter 12 of Jesus, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So the second word that we're supposed to remember is the command that reminds us that the opportunity is worth the obedience. If we only focus on the cost, then we will be easily discouraged. But let's focus on the opportunity that somebody could and will be saved. The third word I want us to remember is the word cheer. So continuing on, looking at chapter number five, continuing on into chapter number seven, chapter number eight, we see that the persecution begins to increase. It begins to intensify. But as we read about this intensified persecution in, in let's say, Acts chapter number five, we see that they are beaten and told, do not preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. But in verse number 41, the Bible says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that with persecution, these believers rejoiced. It's not two words that you would expect to go together, right? You would expect persecution to lead to discouragement. You would expect persecution to lead to grumbling or complaining, persecution to lead to quitting. But in this case, persecution led to rejoicing. And if persecution leads to rejoicing, more persecution cannot stop you. Amen? Because it just leads to rejoicing. It doesn't lead to quitting. It doesn't lead to persecution. How could that possibly be? Well, they considered it worthy, that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, let's take a look at Peter. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, Peter writes to some believers that are scattered abroad. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These five regions are in modern-day Turkey. So Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, these areas are all in modern-day Turkey. So Peter is writing to the believers that have been scattered throughout this region, and they've been scattered because of persecution. And in this book, in verse number 13 of chapter 4, he says, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Peter says, Rejoice because you are suffering. That doesn't seem to go together because we usually think, well, we rejoice when we are victorious, right? 
When prayers are answered, we rejoice. When things are going well, we rejoice. When somebody is healed of their sickness, we rejoice. We think of rejoicing in these times, and of course, they are worthy of our rejoicing. But Peter tells these believers to rejoice because of suffering. How could that be? If you back up one verse, in verse number 12, we see this expectation of persecution. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know what Peter's saying? You should expect persecution. You should expect it. It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise us. If we witness to somebody and they reject us, it shouldn't surprise us. Amen? All right? It shouldn't surprise us. We should be overjoyed when the other person doesn't reject us. <laughs> We're witnessing to somebody and they're not rejecting us. Well, praise the Lord. But even still, we know as believers, we should expect persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So right away, you see the mentality of Peter. The mentality of Peter is I'm going into war and I'm expecting resistance. I'm expecting a battle to come in uh, my way. But we also see this difference in perspective. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. All right? One of the differences between an immature Christian and a mature Christian is an immature Christian only thinks about now, whereas an immature Christian sees farther into the future, right? And that's what we see with little kids, right? Little kids only think about what? They only think about right now. I'm hungry right now. I want this thing right now. That's what I want right now. As we mature, we begin to see things a little bit farther out. I'm willing to make the sacrifice now because I see something in the future. I'm willing to give up part of my paycheck now in order to invest and save for retirement. I'm willing to make some sacrifices now in order to benefit later. We see all of these things. That's part of the maturity process. The maturity process enables us to see farther into the future. And Peter is saying we can rejoice because Peter's looking far into the future. He's not looking at just the right now. And if we are witnessing and we face persecution, the immature Christian only thinks about what? He only thinks about the right now. What are they facing right now? They're facing the persecution right now. And so the Christian, the immature Christian will think this is not worth it because all they can think about is the right now. But the mature Christian will begin to understand there's something farther in the future that we are going for. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Peter says there's a reward coming, and I'm going for that reward. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed. The word blessed here means happy, right? Happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The idea then is that Peter's trying to communicate to us believers, hey, when you face persecution, you can rejoice because you know down the road there's a great reward for it. Amen? 
All right? So keep your eyes down the road. Keep your eyes down the road in the future. Paul puts it this way to the church at Corinth. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but, the, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul, we know, faced intense persecution, right? Persecution like none of us has faced, right? He was thrown in jail many times. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned. He faced intense persecution. But writing about his own intense persecution, he said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That was his mentality. You know why? Because his maturity, he, he, he matured, and he was able to see far down the road, and he saw the glory of heaven was far greater than the suffering he was going through in the moment. His maturity to see down the road enabled him to endure persecution because he saw the bigger picture. Verse number 14 continues. He says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So Peter says, if you are persecuted for the name of Christ, you should be happy. All right? That doesn't make sense. But then he says, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. So, the Spirit of God is upon you. There's that phrase, resteth upon you. So we know that for every believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Amen? All right? If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, just like every other believer throughout history, uh, since the Holy Spirit came down, when they trusted Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And praise the Lord for that. But the phrase resteth upon you doesn't just mean that God is with you, all right? We use the phrase sometimes, I'm here for you, amen? And that can be comforting. When you're going through a hard time, you have a friend who comes alongside and says, I'm here for you. That's nice, and that's comforting. But God is not just saying, I'm here for you. The word resteth upon you indicates that he's actually doing something for you, that he's actively giving you rest. So Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, when Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the same word as the word in 1 Peter when he says, The Spirit of God resteth upon you. So God gives rest to those that are persecuted for the name of Christ. We are able to endure because the Holy Spirit of God enabled us to endure. We are able to be joyful because the Holy Spirit enables us to be joyful, right? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, right? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And notice that the fruit is not conditional to the environment, all right? When we go to the grocery store, you know, we go and we buy fruit, right? We're looking for different fruit and, you know, we have our favorites, right? We have strawberries that we like. We have oranges, things like that, things, things that we like. And so we'll go there, and a lot of times if there's strawberries there, we'll buy them, all right? But you and I both know that there's a time when strawberries are in season 
and times when strawberries are out of season, right? You ever buy strawberries that are out of season? You eat them and you're like, ah, this is just not doing it. It's not sweet, it's not good, it's not juicy, you know? You buy the oranges and you peel them open and they're kind of like dry and wrinkly already. You're like, I think this are, these are out of season. These fruits are out of season. We should probably not buy these anymore. And we use the phrase out of season. They are not in season right now. But the fruit of the Spirit is always in season. Amen? It's always in season. It's not like the Holy Spirit says, well, you know, conditions are getting a little bit tougher now. Persecution is intensifying. It's not joy season right now. One of these days, the joy will return when the season returns, but it's not joy season right now. It's not love season. It's not peace season. But God can give joy no matter the season that you face, no matter the persecution. And so that's what enables us to have joy. When the Holy Spirit rests upon us in persecution, the fruit of that is joy. And that joy enables us to continue. Amen? So that's the process. In Acts chapter number 16, when, when Paul and Silas, they, they go to the city of Philippi, they preach the gospel, they're trying to plant a church, they're trying to help the church to grow, uh, they are arrested, somebody doesn't like what they're doing, they're arrested, and the Bible says that they laid many stripes upon them. So they whipped them, they put them into the inner prison, and they made their feet fast in the stocks. So Paul and Silas didn't do anything wrong, and yet they are whipped and thrown into the inner prison. And the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God. They were praising God as they were bleeding, thrown into the inner prison with their feet in the stocks, probably thinking, well, this is not the best position for us to be, you know, singing. This is not, but we're going to do our best. They sang praises to God. And the Bible says that the other prisoners heard them. You know what the other prisoners would have definitely thought? these are not normal prisoners over there. <laughs> this is not normal. People usually don't get whipped and sing praises to God after they are thrown into prison. That's not normal. And you know what happened? The jailer of that prison, he got saved. And his family, he got saved. You know why? Because they had the joy of the Lord in their hearts. Despite persecution, they continue to preach the gospel. And that is what enables us to face the persecution. When the Holy Spirit rests upon us and the fruit of joy comes through us. So when we go out the rest of this fall season, through October, through November, into December, I hope that you will carry this mind of, we want to reach souls with, with the gospel. I want to witness to somebody. Uh, this week, I have the goal of inviting somebody to the church. I want to go out. Maybe it's on a Saturday morning. Maybe you're going to take an invitation with you and go home, and you're going to invite a family member. You're going to invite a neighbor, a co-worker. You're going to invite somebody to church. You're going to share the gospel with somebody. Don't be surprised if persecution comes your way. Right? You should expect it. You can expect persecution, but a couple of things that we could do. Number one, remember the church. Remember the church. We're going to have service next week. Amen? You could come back. You could find some comfort. Find some fellowship where we could say, ah, you know what? It's good to be around other believers that we're also trying to share the gospel. It's a wonderful thing. Also remember the command. There is an opportunity that comes with obedience. And if we only focus on the cost, we will miss out on the reward. 
Thirdly, then, we have the cheer. There is joy in persecution if it comes from the Holy Spirit, and that will enable us to continue to be faithful. And that's how the church continued. Acts doesn't end in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Christianity does not die. It continues to grow because of their response to persecution. And the gospel can spread in this environment too. California, we can reach people with the gospel. We can reach people in America. We can reach people around the world. The gospel can still work if we think about some of these things. We are faithful to the Lord. We enable God to work through us to see others to be saved, churches to be planted, and we continue to see souls to be saved.